0: Dr. Ethel Tunkelheim, an associate professor of politics at York University. This is Academic Antics. If there's one message we want listeners to take from Academic Antics, it's that we are more than work. After all, how many times has it been implied or even explicitly said that academia is a calling that we should be living and breathing and thinking about our work all the time? How many times have we seen colleagues congratulated for working during their vacations and for publishing and writing while on leave? Or how many times have we received emails about department politics or service obligations in the middle of the night or on the weekend or holidays? This is why it's so important to try and find something outside of academia. Who are you outside your work? That was me about a year ago. I had so much frustration and anger. But I decided to take a boxing and it was amazing. I go boxing nearly every day and having access to that community that's super supportive, that's generative, that's kind, really makes me feel happy. I also do a lot of other things beyond boxing. I like baking, I like doing jigsaw puzzles, and I also love reading books. Reading books for fun, that is. And I have several book clubs that I'm part of, and we hang out and we talk about books, and you know, it again, makes me feel that I'm part of something beyond my work. And that's really important for me to maintain my ability to stay in the academy. So on today's episode, we want to talk about all the ways that we can be more than work. We've got my good friends, Dr. Harshita Yellamarty and Dr. Genevieve Fuji-Johnson. And we also have some audio diaries from friends of the podcast that talk about the things they do outside work. But first, let's have our guests introduce themselves. Harshita, do you want to go?
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Harshita, I am a newly minted PhD and and I'm currently teaching at St. Mary's University, Halifax. I am also, I think, a dabbler. So I dabble in many different things. I bake, I do origami. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And uh, I play Dungeons and Dragons and other role playing games and also other board games.
0: You're so cool. (laughs) Gee.
1: <laughs> yeah, super,
2: super cool. So I'm Genevieve, and I'm based out here on the west coast of Turtle Island. I'm a professor at Simon Fraser University. Mm. Who am I outside academia? For me, you know, the boundaries are really permeable. Mm. Um, I mean, I do identify as a scholar, and we'll talk more about this, like the perils and pitfalls of that totalizing identity. But for me as a scholar, it's very permeable. And so my activities, you know, my surfing, my sewing, uh, baking. I also love baking. Mm. And I recently taken up the ukulele. All of these things, what? you know. Yeah, fantastic. We're going to start a band. <laughs> awesome. Um, we'll be the academic aunties house band.
1: Oh, my god! Can you do your theme song?
2: That would amazing. be great. Oh, I need to practice. I have like four <laughs> chords down. But often that's all you need. That's all you I'm need. The, yeah, it's ukulele. Yeah, it sounds an ukulele.
1: bright and happy yeah. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. matter what. So.
2: That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so all of this is to say, you know, who who I am inside academia and outside academia, they are the same. And one feeds the other. I mean, you know, professionally in the professional context, you know, as racialized women, we're constantly being bombarded with the aggression, right? You know, as Joyce Green puts it, you got to have your elbows up. Yes. And when I am in the water, surfing with others, you know, the vibe, that context, I mean, it can certainly be very intense and at times it can be aggressive. And so at times you do have to be assertive, but typically the vibe is pretty mellow, it's pretty laid back, um, and and that's who I become. I love if it. If that's helpful. It absolutely is.
0: And I think that's one thing that I love about boxing, because when I go to the boxing gym, no one gives a shit about my publications or <laughs> my work or who I am. And it's a different vibe. It's a supportive vibe. It's a kinder vibe. We give each other fist bumps, you know, and it's not about it's not about kind of hierarchy. It's just about fun and joy. And I think having these alternate spaces outside the academy um, is so crucial to me feeling that I'm tethered to something bigger. And I don't know. You know, you describe the surfing community that way. Harshita, or do you have communities that make you feel that way too?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, my recent sort of passion is playing Dungeons and Dragons. I started, over, <laughs> I started over uh, during the pandemic, actually. So we were all meeting online. And I found that basically it was engaging a creative storytelling part of me that was really precious and valuable at that time. So this is at the time that I was also struggling with research and writing. I was in the process of writing my PhD at the time. And I mean, as you might remember, or you know from your grad students, the PhD just feels like this huge, overwhelming pressure sometimes. And, you know, it's like all of your problems will not be solved until the PhD gets done. Yeah. And so... Dungeons and Dragons as a role playing game basically takes you all, you create a character and you go into a fantasy world and there's a game master who sort of sets the rules and sets challenges, but as players, you have to work collaboratively, you have to tell stories, make uh, decisions and roll dice. (laughs) yeah you have to roll the dice and whatever number comes up on it kind of determines whether your actions are successful or not and whether you can you know swing a sword or not and things like that so it's you know high it's a a lot of fantasy and it's set in different settings and so I found that in the collaborative space of playing role playing um like you know no one cares if you're smart or not? No, you are playing a <laughs> character, and yeah, within that community, you are relating to each other as people engaging in theater of mind of the mind together. Mm. Um, you're in a collaborative storytelling relationship with each other, and a lot of the times, what you're doing, how you're playing, is to either protect your team members or your party members, or to entertain them. <laughs> So, you know, as much as we sort of battle dragons and explore dungeons, there's also times where we all end up in a tavern together and we're (laughs) drinking mead and, you know, roll the dice to jump up on a table and start dancing. (laughs) So it's a really lovely, uh, like, explosion and uh, creation of creative energy together, which um, is very different sometimes from academia and what it offers it's a different muscle in your brain being engaged Mm. so a different kind of community absolutely
3: when i'm not deep diving into voting systems or working class politics i like to write a music blog called uh, poprockrecord.com it kind of focuses on new artists roughly inspired by the beatles or fountains of wayne why a music blog? I mean, it's a different way of writing. It's, uh, it's more creative. I get to have a little more fun. Uh, and it's, it's nice to interact with the artists who are usually grateful to get some coverage. No dreaded reviewer too is on the scene here. Uh, just uh, just happy fans and, and happy artists.
2: Outside of work, I am a book reviewer on Instagram at The Rita Reads, all one word. I read and review mostly middle grade and YA books by and about BIPOC folks, especially South Asian authors and characters, queer folks, chronically ill and disabled folks, and others from historically marginalized communities. Sometimes I review adult nonfiction books too, but it is mostly um, YA books. I'm also a college football fan, go Dogs, a soccer fan, an indoor rock climber, a weightlifter, and an aunt. Can we talk
0: a little bit more about this distinction between the spaces that you've created through d and and through surfing and for me through boxing, like how does it make you feel being part of these communities and why are academic communities so different from these spaces that you've cultivated?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, um, you know, within, within the discipline of political science and beyond. My experience has been one of competition Yes. Competition for scarce resources. Mm -hmm. And as Harshita was putting it earlier, doing a PhD, it's all consuming. And going on the job market, it's all consuming. And trying to get tenure, uh, should you be so lucky to get a tenure track job, you know, it's all consuming. The work, you know, demands that totalizing commitment because it is so competitive so I do find, you know, at least um, with respect to the kind of surfing that I do, and I just started at the age of fifty. So that was whoa, like not even, really? Um, what? Yeah, I mean, I've always been physically active over my very long life. I was a figure skater uh, oh, as a wow. child. Uh, I turned professional when I was eighteen. What? Um, I studied <laughs> dance amazing. again. I've had a very long, long life, right? And so, at the age of fifty. I took a surfing lesson, did not think I would enjoy it at all. And what can I say? <laughs> I fell in love with the activity instantaneously. And the kind of surfing that I do is on a very, very large board. It's a nine-foot board. Mm-hmm. It's a sport, but it's also a dance. So it's, very, it's akin to figure skating. And also a lot of women are drawn to this particular kind of sport or this particular kind of surfing. I actually find that because I, I find myself surfing with other folks on longboards, they're either super mellow older guys or dudes, or, you know, they're women. There's a certain vibe that is not very competitive, that's more collaborative. You know,
0: this has been so insightful, everything that both of you have said. And one epiphany I had as you were talking is that all of us took up these. Activities. Um, When we were going through kind of for me, you know, when I started boxing, it was right before I turned 40, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I just needed something else. It was my mode of resisting the intense stress I was feeling in my hyper competitive academic world. And so it seems as though all of us in different ways were trying to carve out a different space and we were trying to kind of resist popular understandings of what proper academics should look like. What's interesting is that a lot of people that I've talked to seem ashamed to kind of admit their immersion in these non-academic worlds, right? A lot of them feel ashamed to admit that they do things
1: outside research.
0: And I don't quite know why that is. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think when I kind of got into the research life or when I decided academics was where I was going to dedicate, you know, the next 10 years of my life, I struggled very much against this idea that to be a good academic or to be a good researcher, I have to read everything, everything all the time. And I just, I don't do that. I read fiction. I read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy. I watch a lot of bad reality shows. Yes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are things we do for fun and we recharge and we're not always critical and analytical all of the time. Sometimes we watch stuff that's that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> But I think what you're saying about finding these creative pursuits while we're stressed out is, I mean, I think at some point, it's also that we realize, even if our minds don't, our bodies realize that the stress is unsustainable Mm. and that we need to do something that takes us, like we were saying, outside of ourselves and exercises different parts of our being, our muscles, our emotions Um, engages different kinds of creative energy so yeah I'm absolutely not surprised at all that these things happen at stressful or pivotal moments in our life and I just wanted to say one more thing that you know G talked about taking surfing classes and I was thinking about how fun it is sometimes for those of us you know, since we're academics, researchers, teachers, it's so much fun to be a student sometimes.
0: Mm.
1: When I first took ukulele classes, this was in Toronto, uh, with my wonderful friend, Kristen Fung, who is now in Vancouver. When I went into Kristen's classes, it was just so much fun to be a student. And Kristen was a great teacher. And so there was a bunch of us who were taking those ukulele classes. And it was just wonderful to like, play together, make music together. Kristen was also very keen that people who play the ukulele should also sing along with it, because she's like, that's the point. You have a ukulele, you whip it out at a party, and you start singing. And so sometimes we would be playing and singing together, and it was just the most joyous, recharging kind of a moment that I had in my week. So one thing that I
0: really love about what you said, Harshita, was how... Being part of this ukulele community and learning again as a student made you feel kind of, you know, energized, right? And I think for me, for boxing, learning boxing, not caring if I'm good at it or not, um was for me revelatory in that, you know, I learned that not every activity has to lead to something that the activity itself is fun in and of itself. And I was wondering, G, whether that's something that you relate to when you were learning surfing, um, whether that's something that you can talk to us a little bit more about, about the affective, the the emotions that that underpin your other activities.
2: You know, one of the issues is in academia is this emphasis on the life of the mind, the activity Mm. of the mind, right, which is just so problematic in so many ways. It's a beautiful thing, but it's also really problematic, especially when the mind is prioritized over the body. And so, yeah, coming to a sport, an activity like surfing which is totalizing in its own way you know you step into the ocean and you need to be really really with it (laughs) you need to be fully present Uh, and often you're getting kind of tossed around by the current um, by the white water of the breaking waves you know it can be a struggle uh, especially on a bigger board to to make it kind of um, through those breaking waves and into the green water to do all of this necessarily requires letting go of all of the other stressors in your life <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and really just focusing on the task at hand, which in some context really is, you know, not drowning, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> making it out, um, you know, controlling your board. Again, I'm on a super big board, controlling your board um, so that it doesn't, hit me or, or worse someone else, uh, and making it out into the green water where the possibilities are endless in terms of being able to identify a wave and to get on the wave. And that's where the fun happens really. I mean, there is something just purely, purely fun about, you know, being able to actually get onto a wave and being in a good position on a wave and, um, you know, one of my principles in surfing is that there are many waves, are many ways in which you can ride a wave. And so, even if I don't stand up on my board, if I just ride it on my belly, or I'm able to, you know, sit up onto my knees, but I can feel the energy of the wave. And if I'm in a really good place on the wave, like close to its energy source, um, you know, that feeling is—it's so deeply joyous. And I think it has something to do with, with being connected to something bigger. Yes. And so in the case of surfing, that something bigger is, you know, the awesomeness of the ocean. Yes. (laughs) And that is real. And the energy that's coming through the wave and that you can feel along the bottom of your board or along the side of your board and into your body. That for me is pure joy. And I'm, again so lucky every time i get in the water i think wow i'm able to do this you know at my age and and i and and i i know a couple of people who are quite a bit older than me still surfing and and they are sources of inspiration for me but i also i'm i have the great privilege of of being able to come into contact with folks who are literally like they literally could be my kids right like they're in their <laughs> 20s and that's such a joy, and, and what I get to learn from them as well. So in fact, I have a wonderful coat, a coach. Her name is Lydia Rickard. She's on Team Canada. Um, wow. Uh, for surfing, for longboard surfing. She's beautiful. And she is she is like 25 years my junior. And so and she's my mentor.
0: Wow. And
2: you know, like that's amazing. I feel so lucky to have these intergenerational connections where I'm, you know, learning from from people, from folks who are much, much younger than I am. Um and that connection is is also
1: so joyous. Oh my god, G, you're a poet.
2: Yes. I am not. She I'm is not. Are you? When you were talking me? about
1: the waves just now, I was like, oh, I'm gonna close my eyes and I've just imagined myself there.
2: That's very beautiful,
0: G. It's
2: a pleasure. And it's you know, it's real. I wonder if like in the role games you know in this fantasy world it's akin to being in a fantasy world where you're mm-hmm. really really in it mm-hmm. and you're flowing with it and so perhaps in the context of role games you know the the bigger the something bigger is the community right <laughs> of other folks who are who are playing these roles And you're going with that flow, right? You're responding in the moment.
1: Yeah, you're playing off of each other. You're building on each other's jokes. And you're (laughs) trying to create opportunities for other people to show off or you show off. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. Harshita, can you talk a little bit about, you know, because going with what she's saying about going with the flow... Listeners, Harshita has also created these games. She she served as the game master. We had a good friend over, and she had never played D and D before. And she was like, Harshita, you created the characters, you created our rules, you you kind of masterminded this. Can you talk a little bit more about how you did that and what you get out of that? Because friends, she Harshita is not just someone who plays D and D. She creates the games herself as well, which I think is amazing.
1: <laughs> thanks <Ethel. laughs> i will say i've only done that once before so far i've only been a player in other people's games but uh yeah it's it's um so in dungeons and dragons which is a role-playing game you have players who create their own characters and you give them a world to play in mm. And so you can have sort of the broad contours of a world. You can have, you know, specific puzzles or obstacles or enemies that they're going to fight. But a lot of the times, the direction of the story, the characters, the interactions that they have, the relationships that they build are really up to the players. And so, in the games that I've played and in the games that I've run, the idea has always been to have players kind of show off themselves as much as possible and because it's kind of collaborative storytelling a lot of the times uh, you can also have worlds in which you imagine things to go differently than they go in our real worlds and so the best kind of games that I played in are the ones that I watch because folks who are curious about Dungeons and Dragons there's a lot of really good live play shows on YouTube and other places that you can watch too a lot of the sort of best games that I've played or watched in have particular kinds of values that are built into the world. So they're egalitarian. If there's racism within the world, we address it. Gender and sexuality is organized very differently from the way it is in our our real world. So in the fantasy world, gender and sexuality is way more fluid or is just valued differently or it's not part of the game at all. And so it just gives us a chance to imagine a different kind of society and how we would react within it and one of the best things about Dungeons and Dragons uh, which is I'm taking from like a player that I really admire he talks about how within the role-playing fantasy scenario it allows us to practice making heroic decisions. Mm. So the players who are playing in a Dungeons and Dragons world are heroes. They're not just regular people. They're heroes. They have weapons, they have spells, they have abilities that regular people in that world don't. And so heroes make heroic decisions. They make decisions to protect each other's, protect their team members. They make the heroic decision to enter into a dark room and see what's going on there and see if someone needs help. And so in this fantasy world, you practice making heroic decisions and being kind and being helpful and standing up for what's right or, you know, speaking up against injustice. And if you practice making those decisions in a fantasy world, maybe it makes it easier to practice those in the real world.
0: (gasps) That's amazing. It's like you're describing the creation of other worlds, right? That I think... I don't know, I find that super, super inspiring. I love
4: it. So I stumbled upon a beekeeper at an event maybe four years ago and got really curious. And then I suggested to my mom that maybe she wanted to beekeeping course. And she immediately got super excited because actually her dad, my grandfather, was a beekeeper. So for four years now, we've been doing that together and it's so great. When I'm in the hive, I don't think of anything else. I'm just sort of trying to figure out what these little ladies are up to, uh, where the queen is, Uh, if there's any signs of anything being wrong. uh, It's a really nice thing to do with my mother as well, who recently retired. I have to say that as a political scientist, one really funny thing about beekeeping is that I can't help anthropomorphizing the bees. It's such an interesting society, uh, a total matriarchy. Uh, where they kick out the male bees at the end of the season when they don't need them anymore. And they can actually stage a revolution if they don't really find their queen satisfactory. They can make a new one and sort of depose her. Uh, and I can talk about bees endlessly. It is so much fun. Highly recommended.
0: Both of you describe surfing and D&D with such passion, such joy, and such hope, too, that I... I'm truly inspired. I'll pivot for a second now because I think one of the most common pushbacks I receive from folks is how people simply don't have time or they don't think they have time, especially for early career scholars who were saying to me, Ethel, it's great that you box, but I've got to hustle. I've got to work. I've got to finish my PhD. I've got to do this, that and the other. And I think I wanted to get both of your feedback on that. Like what, would you say to folks who kind of resist this imperative who think that they cannot actually spend time doing fun things because of the pressures that they feel?
2: Yeah. So really, it's a really great question. Ethel. I'm aware that I have a lot of privilege in terms of where I'm at in my profession, you know, as a full professor, but also as a woman who is currently going through menopause, um, well, I'm I'm entering, I mean, technically, I'm entering menopause. You know, I've really realized, and I just come back to that idea of Harshita and how, how she put it, you know, like your body's, the stress is not sustainable. And mm-hmm. so if possible, you need to take care of yourself. And for me, part of that self-care is carving out the time to unplug. So when I was a PhD um, student, one of the things that I tried to do regularly was run. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a huge fan of running, but I did it and I still do it when I can. Is that it's relatively inexpensive and it's, you know, efficient in terms of time. And also, running often is just walking, right? Mm-hmm. Just trying to elevate your heart rate a little bit. And so, if you're able to walk or jog, That can be a really nice activity that you can do even just in 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, I once had a professor when I was studying in the UK for my master's, and his advice to me was, you need to think less. (laughs) You need to go for walks. Yes. And you need to open your eyes. I can tell you want to be, you know, a scholar and you're on the right track, except that you need to think less. And so that's really stayed with me. I was very lucky to have that. But I understand the pressure. But mm-hmm. the constant work, the toll it takes emotionally and physically, just sitting there hunched over,
1: it's not sustainable.
0: No. Mm-hmm.
1: As a very baby scholar myself, um, I'm still on the job, market. But I was thinking about how academia, I mean, those of us who are in this position, we are PhDs, we're already like pretty shiny, you know, we're super good at what we do. And so there's so much pressure to keep being good. Yes. And when like we were talking about earlier, and when you're learning something, you are giving yourself permission to be not very good at it. And so it frees you up a little bit. And that's a gift you should give yourself to the freedom to not be so good at something, to release the pressure from yourself and to just enjoy doing something for the sake of it. But the question of, you know, not having the time or how do we prioritize doing something creative or something outside of research um, in our lives while being in this precarious position, I think sometimes... I think for me, this speaks to the question of mental health as well. Yes. The stress on our bodies is unsustainable, but the stress on our mental health is also unsustainable also because academia, as we know, can break your heart. Yes. It breaks your heart with the kind of the microaggressions, the sort of everyday injustices of it um, for racialized women, for racialized non-binary folks to be not taken seriously, despite how, however many publications we may have, all of those things. So, you know, it's important to recharge. And I think the recharging that's offered by being outside of academia, even if it's, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, like G said, or, you know, how much time you can get, it's the recharging is important to feel yourself enjoying and learning and growing outside can you can bring that energy back into academia into your work and that's kind of valuable and it's again going back to what Ji was saying about permeability Mm. if you're finding yourself feeling active and capable and not afraid in a non-academic context I mean, I, and I don't want to make this into like a productivity or an efficiency kind of an argument, <laughs> no, 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 but no, no, sometimes, no. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Yes. Do these other things so that you can get better at academia. That's not what I mean. But the, I, the fact is that to come back to academia, which is so often isolated, competitive, hard and heartbreaking to be outside of it and to have creative energies to bring back into those pursuits can just shift your perspective a little bit and can it can make writing fun again
3: Mm. it can
1: make reading fun again and teaching to a certain extent fun again I mean I love teaching so it's fun to me but you know sometimes it can get really hard and Being outside and and like recharging in these different communities where there's a different aspect of yourself, engaged with people, engaged with nature, um, can really shift your perspectives when you come back to the sort of grind that is academia.
0: It absolutely, absolutely makes sense. Yeah. G, what do you think?
1: I
2: really like your phrasing, Harshita, of kind of like resisting, you know, the efficiency argument and the productivity, you know, like we have to be efficient with our time. We have to be productive, you know, in order to do, in order to get, in order to, et cetera, et cetera. I want to resist that. But there's also, you know, there's also the passion and the drive and the love from, you know, I mean, I love I love what I do. I love writing. I love researching. I love engaging with people on ideas. You know, I love all of that. Um, and sometimes with the work, it gets overwhelming. And I come up against these these dead ends, if you will, in my own thinking. And so to be able to disengage from that and to go out for, you know, a run or you know to shift over and do a bit of sewing or to get into the water and go for a surf you do have these moments where you're where you shift your perspective and you see a problem in a way more creative way and you're able to bring that that creativity back to your scholarly work your academic work yeah. with more energy right
3: When I was growing up, I was the kid that liked to spend a ton of time in the library, reading books. I had pretty traumatic experiences with PE classes. I was also the really clumsy kid that got picked last um, every time. And it was pretty horrible as a kid and um, caused a lot of kind of pain in my life growing up. And so I always thought that I was somebody that was clumsy, that could not play sports, that was not athletic. Later on in my life, I did find physical activities that I really enjoyed, like snowboarding and playing ultimate frisbee during graduate school. But I did these things for fun, and I still never thought of myself as somebody that could be athletic, that could be fit, that could be strong. Back in the spring of 2022, I had an encounter with COVID that um, had some complications and it was a real health scare. And it took me a little while to recover, but when I recovered, I just set an intention to get myself as healthy as possible. And so I joined a weightlifting gym. So I've been doing powerlifting now for the past six, almost seven months, and it has been transformative in my life. I am a person that is strong. I'm really strong now. I I am amazed at the things that I can lift. I go to this gym and there's this community of other women who are also really strong, and we support each other, and I feel like I've become a different person over the past six months. I'm more confident in myself and my body. And I now believe myself to be somebody that is athletic and is strong. And it's just amazing to think of myself that way. I think final question,
0: um, and I get this a lot from from my listeners as well, I mean, I've been preaching hashtag more than work for a long time now. And beyond kind of folks saying, I don't have time to do this. People have told me, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to function outside research and the academy. They've lost themselves in the process. They don't know who they are. So what advice would you give folks who don't know where to start in terms of finding activities finding out who they are outside this academic world
2: it's it's a great great question i think the function of not knowing how to find ourselves outside academia not knowing who we are outside academia is a function of the industry yes around academia um I would say it is in there. It's in you. You were a kid. You were (laughs) a child. Yes. Right? And so it's in there. And when it makes sense to you, encourage yourself to open the door. And it just takes, just crack that door. Just open it and see what's out there and explore Mm. you know not every activity is you know i mean i i tried taking up the piano i was a disaster (laughs) on the piano and it was stressful it was Mm. really stressful for me and i was putting a lot of you know and i was like i can only handle the notes i can't deal with the timing Mm. and obviously that's just a that's not musical so not everything is going to work out for you I've also tried to take up skateboarding and honestly, skateboarding is really dangerous for a woman (laughs) of my age, (laughs) you know, so it's not always going to be great, but the thing is just open the door, crack the door. The other thing I will say, you know, some of these activities, you know, in addition to requiring the time, they also require like skateboarding, require equipment Mm -hmm. um, and surfing obviously. So, I mean, there's a there's an exchange economy going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that can be really helpful. Actually, just yet last night I was looking, because my ukulele practice these days, I was looking for a drum machine. And so <laughs> I was just, like, browsing Facebook Marketplace, you know, like for things on the cheap. There's, you know, there are ways of figuring things out and just exploring uh, low-stakes ex- exploration, I would say. Crack the door mm-hmm. and walk through it
1: yeah I mean 100% I think I would echo G there and yeah so same thing I would say what did you enjoy as a kid what did you enjoy what do you enjoy about research maybe it's the idea of putting together a puzzle right like you Mm. put arguments together that's something that's interesting to you maybe you like conducting qualitative interviews maybe you want to start reading in a new kind of a genre like different kinds of books that you know you can read I think what you love about one thing will give you clues about what you might enjoy outside of that one thing and the other thing I would say is give yourself the gift of being a student again yes give yourself the gift of not being good at something (laughs) yes giving yourself the potential of maybe getting good about at it someday but not having to get there right away. And yeah, like there's a lot of resources. There's like YouTube has like everything. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, anyone who wants to sort of dip their toe into Dungeons & Dragons will find that there's lots of really good, high quality Dungeons & Dragons content on YouTube. So if you want to engage in losing yourself in a fantasy world and getting to do things that you wouldn't normally do in real life, Like casting spells and (laughs) swinging a sword around. There's ways to get into it.
0: I love this so much. I love that both of you are encouraging people just to experiment. I once tried belly dancing and my hips just couldn't move that way. (laughs) And it was fine, right? Tried it, didn't like it, move on. Like, yep. it, it's so low stakes, right? So, mm-hmm. just cracking the door open, you know, and just experimenting and seeing what you like, seeing what you don't like. You're not being graded on this, you're not being evaluated on this. So, I think, you know, just remembering that is super important. Thank you both so much. Any last words of insights that you'd like to share?
1: Yes. I actually had something written down that I wanted to share that I oh. maybe shoehorn in here. Yeah. So in my experience as a PhD student, what I found was that there wasn't a lot of completion and rewarding of that. So, you know, the comps were difficult and then the writing was difficult because it was not, you know, sort of task-based as, as in, you complete this assignment, you get a grade, moving on. It just mm. felt like an endless kind of a grind at times. So sometimes doing something that has a definite end point like a jigsaw puzzle or a piece of origami or rock climbing where you know you climb a route and then you're at the top and then you're done was also really helpful for my mental health to say okay here's a task with an endpoint and you're done and now it's time to move on so just to be able to get that sense of uh, a contained completed task elsewhere was really helpful and I needed that to be able to come back to the PhD and to keep writing and say, yes, there is an end point, I'm getting there. It's slow going, but I will get there. So that was one other way in which non-academic pursuits actually kind of helped me take a different attitude towards academic pursuits and overcome some of the challenges. Well. Thank you
0: both so, so much for your time, and I'm sure our listeners appreciated your wisdom as well. Thank you. Amazing. If there's one thing that you take away from this conversation, it's this. You should not be ashamed for having non-academic pursuits. We are all more than work, and it's important for us to remember that we shouldn't live, breathe, and dream of academia. Academia, after all, is just a shop. And that's Academic Anties. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Academic Antie. If you use Mastodon, find us at Academic at mass.to. You can also email us at podcast at If you want to support the podcast, I hope you consider becoming a Patreon supporter, which goes right into supporting our production costs. Visit academicanties.comslash support to find out how. Today's episode of Academic Antis was hosted by me, Dr. Ethel Tungohan, and produced by myself, Wayne Chu, and Dr. Nisha Nath. Tune in next time when we talk to more Academic Antis. Until then, take care, be kind to yourself, and don't be an asshole.